Hello and welcome to Turtle Tracks Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Van Hooker, and today we have writer Gavin Hignite, uh, who's written on both the 2003 and the 2012 cartoon series. How are you doing today, Gavin? Hey, uh, thank you for having me. And and yeah, I did. I, uh, I somehow... I, if I could get like a third series, I'd get like that goat award or whatever for, for turtles. Right. Like try to get in on another. Um, but yeah, I, uh, the first, the 2003 show was, was how I, it was my first official animation gig and, uh, I still couldn't be happier about it. Yeah. I feel like I, I could be wrong, but I, you might be the only person who's written for more than one of the cartoons. I, I could be wrong. I have to look it up. <clears throat> Yeah, I you know I feel like there was one other person who had written on who had written a 2003 and a 2012. Okay, um, but I'm not positive. Uh, yeah, I, I would be curious to know that as well. Um, and I and I would think that maybe someone from 2012 had gone on to do one of the rise, but maybe not. Oh, you know what? That makes sense because uh, what's his name? Um, Soriano was on 2012, so I, I'm proud. Everything I just said is completely wrong. Oh right, yeah. Well, yeah. I was really right. proud of proud of myself for a minute there, but yeah, no. <laughs> um, you know, I I had uh, been writing and and making my own comics and just trying to do. You know, I've been writing for for almost my whole life, but not professionally, and I was just trying to make something happen. And I just said, well, I'm going to make my own thing happen. And I had, it just turned out uh, through other aspects of my life. I met Mike Ryan, the, the story editor of the 2003 show. And, uh, you know, he, he looked at some of the comic book stuff I was doing and he, he just gave me a shot. You know, I, I, I cannot express the gratitude I still have uh, for him giving me a chance. Because I knew I could do it. Other people didn't know I could do it. Sure. Uh, he gave me a shot and uh, I wrote as a Halloween episode, uh, King of Thieves. All uh, Hallows Thieves. All, thank you. All no Hallows problem. Thieves, which, you know, was an adaptation from the original comics. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, you know, I guess it went well. So he offered me uh, another episode, which I, I loved writing because it was a really dark Leo episode that had to do with Karai and, um, it's kind of towards the end of, you know, the show went on, I think another season and then it kind of changed a format a little bit or something. I, but yeah, the era in which I got to work on it with them was, I was already a fan. I was already watching and loved it. So it was a real treat. You know what? Like, I was wondering that, like when you're, were you already a fan of turtles when you were a kid and were you a fan of the 2003 version as well? Or, oh yeah. So, you know, what's, uh, I, I loved the toys and I loved the comic. And although I never played it, I was always really intrigued with the role-playing game, like in the late eighties. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. So I had, and I still have uh, a ton of the playmates toys. That was really my entry point for, for Ninja Turtles. So I was a fan. Uh, I was, you know, watching the show, uh, 2003, and it's funny because when, when I got the gig, they gave me, you know, it's pre, things weren't as digital then. So they're still like, you get assets on paper and stuff. And he gave me like a big, thick, and I still have it, printout of like, here's all the character designs. Here's the sets. You know, it's just like this beautiful um, bounded, well, it was beautiful to me. It's just, you know, paper clipped, but it's just all the assets of the show. And I remember flipping through it and thinking, this is great, but I don't really need it because I've been doing the research for this gig my whole life, you know, (laughs) like I love these turtles. Um, And, you know, hopefully that showed, you know, and I think by the time I I had the opportunity to work on 2012, um, you know, it definitely showed, you know, the, the love I had for the characters and, you know, I had my favorites and whatnot. Um, But yeah, lifelong fan. And, uh, just i couldn't believe i was actually getting paid to to write stories with you know the four turtles you know with all those themes do you remember what your process was like like did you like get the comic and read that over and figure out how to make it work like do you remember what you went through 
Uh, thank you for asking if I remember, because it has been a while. Um, you know, they actually had sent me scans of the, uh, the source comic, the original comic that, that the idea was pulled from. And, you know, both 2012 and 2003, uh, to my benefit, the, the head writer, you know, uh, Mike Ryan and then Brandon on, on uh, 2012, they already had a really strong vision. And they already really, really knew what they wanted from their entire season and what they wanted from pretty much each episode. Mm. So it was a really good way for me to kind of break in and learn uh, from, you know, uh, these gentlemen that had been doing it longer and with, you know, great talent uh, because the beats were already there. You know, uh, for, for All I Have Those Thieves, there was a comic we could kind of follow Sure. And and Mike already had a premise, you know, that one came with a premise and it was like, just expand upon this premise in the outline stage. And then, you know, here's your first draft. I think maybe that they had had a writer drop out or there was an opening or they were in a time crunch. And I think that's really what allowed me to come in and and him to give me, you know, a first shot. Um, and so he was, you know, um, he probably had to revise it a little bit more than, uh, you know, say if I wrote a script now, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll get scripts in now and, and the, the rewrite process is very short because I've just been doing it for a while. Back sure. then, you know, he probably, I probably made some work for him <laughs> is a nice way to put it. Sure. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty smooth process for me. I think it was three draft script like normal. And, uh, uh, you know, that was 2d animation. I haven't, God, I haven't gotten to work in 2d animation in quite a while since. So it was a real treat to, uh, um, you know, to see it animated nine months later. And I, I think it was on Fox kids, right. On the more in the morning. Uh, yeah. The Fox box thing. Yeah. And the Warner brothers eventually, I don't get it. You know, it's funny. Like I don't get a chance to talk about that show. nearly. I, I interviewed Roy Bordine a couple years ago, but I don't get a chance to talk about that show nearly as much as I'd like. So I, I sometimes it kind of like, I rewatched the two you did for, for this, but I, I it, it's not as always quite as fresh as the 2012 show. So Yeah, totally. And, and for me too. And I'll tell you the, the um because you don't get to talk about it a lot and i don't talk about it a lot i will tell you my best story from it please yeah because everyone will appreciate this uh so that show as your listeners may or may not know uh peter laird was a producer on it yes and uh he would go over we would get script notes from him cool and uh it's you know technology was a little different back then so i think they would fax it to him and then he would you know hand write his notes in and uh you know peter's a very uh clever you know he's a writer like he, he created turtles you know he's very clever um and so his notes were actually really funny and kind of like uh um what's a good way to put it like he's very no nonsense as everyone knows he's no sure, he's no sure. he's no bullshit yeah and so his notes would be like half cutting and brutal and half hilarious. And so I saved these scans. I still have them of his notes on my first and second script. Um, because to me, I was a fan and I was like, it's almost cooler than an autograph, right? Like here's Peter oh, yeah. Laird, like, you know, commenting on stuff, but I had an attempt to make Karai's shredder armor feel different and more advanced then Shredder, I really wanted her to feel different and like a, a different level. Uh, in my first pass in the script, I was I really tried to kind of like gadget out her armor a little bit. Okay. You know, and give her like little like surprises for Leo, you know, like stuff that would pop out or, or like weapons. And I just remember Peter had written something like, you know, what is she wearing? A Swiss army knife or something like that. <laughs> sure. And we, we toned it down and then it was more like normal armor. Um, but that was always a really fond, I guess, you know, 2003 memory for me is here are these handwritten notes from, from, you know, the, uh, one half of the turtle masters, right. In, uh, all hollows thieves too, you got to write the, uh, one of my favorite running gags in that show was the, e the cops that look like Eastman and Laird. Yeah. Did, did you get to do that? Like, was that your choice or is that like they're already in the system or whatever? Uh, they were already in the system, and I just can't remember. 
I mean, like, I know they were in the pilot. I just mean, like, were you they, you're like, oh, I want these guys on my script, if you recall? Or was it like they were already in the outline or whatever? I mean, you know, I can't remember. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm going to assume that they were suggested in there. Um, sure. I might not have known that particular version of Turtles enough to include them at that point. Or it was probably like, oh, I wrote a scene with, you know, a couple cops show up. And then Mike, who you know knew the show like the back of his hand, was like, "Oh, let's put in the Eastman and Laird guys." It's probably more like that. Oh, sure. I, I, I looking up for this, I didn't realize those characters actually had names. Frank was the Eastman one, and Sarge was the Laird. Oh, one. How I funny! Characters even had names. I just knew they were Eastman and Laird cops. Yeah, that, that episode, that's funny. The the Karai episode, Prodigal Son, is a really good Leo episode. Yeah, I was so excited to get to do it. Um, that little arc with Leo and him kind of going off and kind of going next level in his training was really, yeah. Uh, that that's the type of stuff, you know, at that time getting to write anything serious or dark for a kid's show was very rare. Mm. Uh, we take it for granted now because so much of the content is kind of like, you know, um, multi-generational um, like some of the stuff, you know, like in more recent years that I, I did on like, you know, uh, transformers and stuff, um, when I first started, we would never get to do because it's just the industry at the time was being very precious about, you know, just storytelling for kids and, um, getting to tell that Leo story. That's where I shine. Like that's that type of, you know, creative dramatic zone. That's where I feel like I do my best. That's where I'm most interested. And, uh, I was lucky to be able to launch on a show that had a moment like that yeah it's a, it's a meaty episode I, I love that show um but i would say maybe its best aspect is the leonardo coverage on that show like leonardo would say was at his best he's the most interesting dynamic like you up there with i mean maybe the idw comics and a couple others but like the leo on that show is really good yeah he's very very fully realized right and he's yeah. very covered um i think that looking back i knew exactly what i wanted to do with him uh, I didn't put, you know, too much of that type of thought into the other characters. Whereas when we get to 2012, the, the, you know, the four of them are so well thought out. Oh yeah. And, and so well explored that I feel like I got to know the other three brothers as well as I felt like I knew Leo, um, you know, 20, 2003, Leo was, was my focus. And sure. I think by the time I was on 2012, uh, I was way, way, way more interested in like, uh, Donnie and, uh, Raph. Uh, sure. they were just, especially Raph had so much going on that I could sink my teeth into. Um, you know, my favorite thing about the All Hallows Thieves actually because uh, you know, as a as an animation writer, you you put stuff in, and as a freelancer or staff writer, you 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 know you're not ultimately in charge. So you throw in ideas, and you hope that they make it. You hope that the producers and execs and story editor like what you put in and keep it. Yeah. And one of the things I got into that that I was so glad survived was uh, April for Halloween is dressed up like Catwoman. Yeah. And uh, I was just so proud of myself. I was like, I got April uh, as Catwoman. And, you know, uh, and also, if you notice the little kids, one of them's dressed up. There's a trick-or-treater dressed up as Freddy Krueger. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Th those were things I was really proud of having kind of snuck in. <laughs> you know, moving on to 2012, uh, uh, just to point out a few of the episodes that you wrote, a number of them are very big, like, Raphael episodes. Um, just to name a couple, Slash and Destroy, Toka versus the world. Um, and we'll, I'll, we'll talk a little bit about Wasteland Warrior later, but like, what was it, what is it about Raph that you like writing? Uh, I think it's anger. I can just totally relate to the guy. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, uh, I was one of my favorite toys is Slash. Uh, I love Slash and, and Brandon knew that. And I think that was his motivation in uh, bringing me in when I when I got to join that team and do Slash and Destroy. Um, and I don't know how this evolved, but it seemed like from that point forward, 
I had the good luck of often writing emotional Raph episodes. So I felt like I really got to know Raph and, um, you know, whereas on the surface, he's just tough guy, you know, um, with a growl. Um, I really got to dig in and show, you know, the, the, uh, kind of the emotional undertext of, of a, you know, complex guy. And, um, I think that's my favorite thing about 2012 is, is I got to kind of explore Raph so deeply, um, in those scenes. Uh, and I, I, like I said, I don't know if that was by design. I don't know if, if, uh, Brandon thought, okay, you know, this is my emotional Raph guy. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I appreciate that I got to do those type stories with him. It seems like there was some, like, not, of, of course, there would be thought put into it. But, like, when I spoke to uh, uh, Kevin Burke and, and, and Chris Wyatt, they had gone with a lot of the, like, the crazy Mikey episodes. And then when I looked at yours, you had a lot of, like, the the, the more emotional Raph episodes. So it seems like there was people played to certain strengths, which is, which is cool. Yeah, and that would be, you know, uh, you know, there's a reason that Brandon uh, Almond, uh is where he is and does what he does. Sure. Um, he's, he's a master at understanding story and people. Um, so it probably is no accident that we all ended up doing the particular episodes we did. Um, with Slash and Destroy, I'm curious, like how much of an, imp- so La- Slash and Destroy, just to fill in people who are, uh, that's the episode where uh, uh, Raph's pet um, turtle turns into Slash. Um, yeah. So my question is like, was do you know uh, like how much uh, sorry like how much of an imprint did you get to have on Slash and what his personality and all that became? Uh, I would think it would be fifty fifty. It'd be a good way to call it. You know, I think that, that Ciro and Brandon and, and the execs had a had an idea of what they wanted, and and I just got to fill in, you know, any uncovered spaces. Uh, you know, these shows are often often super collaborative. Sure. Uh, and, and the stuff that I've done with Brandon before and on that, he has, and, and after that as well, he has a very strong vision of what he wants, which really helps you. Sure. Uh, so stuff's usually pretty fully realized before you even as, as a freelance or staff writer get handed, it handed to you. Sure. Um, but there is always a little room for the nuances and for you to explore and, him and I click, so we think very similar about story and character approach. Um, so the I think maybe that's one of the reasons. Turtles is my favorite show I've ever worked on um, out of the 2012. Um, I've gotten to do some really cool things since, and I'm very glad for it. But my memories of working on, on 2012 are... It's, you know, it's like how people feel fond about high school and, you know, like... Uh, things used to be better back then kind of, you know, like I feel that way about 2012. Like I, it was such a great time in my creative life and and working on a show that I, I felt like I understood front and back. And, you know, I loved all the people working on it, um, whether it be the voice people, the other writers, uh, you know, the, um, you know, I still have friends from that show. Uh, It was just one big, happy mutant family, you know? Uh, And, and, uh, yeah, I just I can't speak you know enough to to the um, as much as I think people enjoyed watching it you know and as it resonated on a, on a higher level than other turtles projects, uh, it was that way behind the scenes as well. That's very cool to hear. Yeah, when you uh, when you like, would you have gotten uh, like here's the look for slash? This is what we're going with. Like, would that have been figured out before you wrote? Yeah. Uh, um, I often would, would be shown, you know, here's how he's kind of looking or, you know, uh, and also once again, just as a fan, you know, uh, and I love Ciro's art, you know, Uh, I'm still trying to get him to do, uh, 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 some original art for me one day. Um, but so it wouldn't often, it wasn't presented to me as, Oh, here's some art for the thing you'll be working on. It was more, oh my God, look how cool this looks, you know? Oh yeah. And, and yeah. we would we would like drool over it. And then the added bonuses, I'd be working with it later. Uh, you know what's a really fun um 
really fun for me. Uh, let me look at the episode while we're talking here. Sure. Um, uh, the uh, attack of the uh, Mega Shredder, I think, is is what it ended up finally being called. Uh, yeah. Attack of the Mega Shredder. Yeah. Um, so that episode, um, there's a really cool comic book artist uh, named Philippe, who I had actually known all the way back when I worked for a company called Tokyo Pop that put out manga. And I remember when I was shown the designs for the Mega Shredder kind of blob you know, monster at the end of the episode, it was like completely grotesque. And then you zoom in on the detail and he's got like a shredder tongue. It was like amazingly horrific and well thought out. And I found out that they had brought on a uh, Philippe to, to do the character at that point. And it was just so fun for me to be like, Oh, this thing that's totally creeping me out is actually done by a guy I've known for years that, you know, joined the show around the time I did. It was pretty, pretty fun realization. Oh, that's cool. And then he went on to actually create the Marvel Ghost Rider comic with the car instead of the motorcycle. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I want to look up. Um, I just know him as Philippe. I want to look up his last name while we're talking so I can tell everybody. Do you know if Slash was or Spike, the pet turtle of Raph, was always going to become Spike? I was yes. Yeah. From the get-go, okay. Yeah, that okay. was where at least till when I came on board in season two, they knew. They knew that that was going to happen. Okay. Yeah, pretty interesting, right? Like, yeah, that was, like I said. Was that the plan? The, part, so. uh, Philippe Smith, by the way, is who uh, created the awesome blob mega shredder monster at the end. And uh, he's, a, he's a manga artist and comic book artist and does a lot of you know animation now. Um, but talking about that big, awesome turtle family. It was really fun. Like working on an episode, uh, that he, he shined so much on. Um, yeah, like that's the thing about working with people like Brandon and Ciro is, is they have these great ideas locked and loaded and ready for you to run with. And, and, uh, you know, um, I, I already was a fan of slash. I had some ideas and, you know, I brought what I could to it. And then the other real strength of, of the 2012 show was the board artist um, mm. came on board. And, and anything I thought I scripted well, they brought to another level, especially action and stuff. Uh, I, I've been hired a lot in recent years because of my ability to write action. Uh, it's, I think, one of the things that is a, a strength I direct on paper a little bit when it comes to that. But by the end of my run on 2012, I didn't have to sure. uh, because the board artists were just at the top of their game and were, as you know, from watching the show, just giving incredible fight sequences and uh, an action, you know, uh, I would like to think that my scripts had something to do with it, but man, those guys would just, Every time it came back, it was like getting a Christmas present because it looks so amazing. That show is so good. Like I, I, I think like taking nostalgia out of the equation. I think that 2012 show is like, I mean, I, objectively speaking, the best turtle show. It's so good. Yeah, as a fan, I feel that way for sure. You know, only because it it really did take all of what works from every version, right? Yeah. Like uh, I, I, you know. I'm proud to say I also worked on it, but from the outside looking in, I would think, yeah, this is the, you know, this is the version that, that kind of pays homage and understands every version, you know, yeah. from the comic to the video games to, um, you know, every, every piece of media that was turtles. Oh yeah. Um, I'm curious uh, for both Slash and uh, Arm because you also got to introduce Armagon, which is pretty cool. Because Armagon, even less like he really hadn't been anything aside from uh, Archie comics and a, a video game or two. He wasn't around, so I'm yeah. curious. Like, did you refer to any of the source materials, like the Archie books, or like did you get enough information uh, up front to kind of not have to do that? I'm curious. Uh, I think for him, it was more, uh, you know. And, and often 
with 2012, this was the approach was look at the material, but don't, don't feel absolutely beholden to it. You know, Mm. like understand it, respect it. And then what's our version of it, you know? So yeah, we definitely looked at, um, Brandon had me look at that stuff for sure. Um, but once again, this show, unlike others I've done, it was never, it never felt like homework, you know, it never felt like work. It was like, it was like, oh dude, we're going to do Armagon. Check out how awesome he is, you know? And so you're looking at, you know, scans or, or, you know, I I don't think I ever actually physically had an Archie comic book in my hand, but, you know, we were looking at like the, you know, what had been done before, basically. As a fan, that was one that I was like, I was just completely surprised to see them bring it. Yeah. We, I think that was a real, we had hoped that, that, you know, it would blow some minds. Like, you know, as you also know, that show is very Easter eggy in its approach. There was so many cool little things tucked into 2012. Oh yeah. I mean, that one's, you also got to tell the, like the, um, at least the fill in the blanks, like parts of Fugitoid's origin story. And that was very much pulled from like Mirage from a long time ago. There was like one of many Easter eggs that like, that was see like a really faithful thing pulled from 1983 or whenever Fugitoid came out. So it was really, yeah, totally. You know, uh, uh, Fugitoid, that whole arc to me, I, I loved that season. Me too. And, uh, you know, Brandon, myself, like Doc Wyatt, many of us who worked on the show are huge Doctor Who fans. And when we found out that David Tennant was voicing Fugitoid, I couldn't, I just almost couldn't believe it. I, I, I had to pinch myself. And then, uh, you know, Brandon uh, recording him said so, so it was just like the best experience. He says like the, you know, the, the, the nicest guy. And, and like, you know, here we are getting to work with him and he's voicing a, a really important character in our show. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought Fugitoid was just a, an amazingly beautiful character. And Fugitoid comes in and kind of takes over the show, which is cool. Like for a half a season, he is every episode's about him in one way or another. And yeah. it's just, like it really just changes the whole show, and like it was cool because the Easter eggs got to be weirder in that season. Like, yeah, uh, I forget what I don't remember, remember the episode. But there was an episode where they were talking about the different space monsters that are in space. One of the six space monsters, right? And like it shows Toka, who you'll do a story on later, and yeah. all that. and then but one of the space monsters was cuddly the cowlick, the floating head, <laughs> the dumbest, weirdest turtles character ever and i was like yeah. i flipped out over it and there's another episode where they're in underwater I don't, I don't i don't know who wrote it but like there's an episode where they go underwater and it references the first turtle game and that horrible level where you oh had- yeah the level from hell yeah yeah so like it was like the references got crazier and cooler in that season so i i love that whole that whole arc is great i agree yeah me yeah me too yeah if the crazier and weirder the more brandon and Sierra are attracted to it for sure <laughs> Like that is, if it's really bizarre, then, you know, you can bet that their eye is on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, uh, um, yeah, it was basically like, you know, Fugitoid was Splinter, right? For a season, yeah. he was their Splinter. And it was so rewarding to me, uh, the way that all came together. Um, getting to uh, a Toka, I'd love to talk to you about that episode. Because are you like a kaiju monster guy? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's how that episode came to me. Uh, sure. Brandon, Brandon knew. Yeah. He, uh, uh just, we, we talked about it, you know, yeah. and I loved that approach for Toka. Um, what, what was coming. Yeah. Toka versus, so I'm just sorry, fill people in. Toka, you wrote Toka versus the world, which is the one where Toka comes to earth, like a comet to go get her baby back from Raph. Um, yeah. And, and like, I, it's funny, like you, you get a good chunk, at least a good act of kaiju coolness when he's when Toka is in the city and blowing tanks away and stuff like that. So it's very cool. Yeah, totally. And and at the same time, you get another emotional raft story. It was kind yeah. of best of both worlds for me. Uh, I, I love that, you know, that final sequence where Raph is like, you know. 
okay, I'm, I'm going to let go of this, this little, you know, thing that I love and, and, uh, you know, in the middle of a Godzilla or Gamera film. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was a, a real joy to, to write that. Yeah. You got the cool Raphael pet stories, which is, which is, yeah, really- I know. Isn't that funny? It's, I guess I should put that on my resume. <laughs> specializes in tough guys i i guess uh i, I should uh, apply for mandalorian right <laughs> tough guys who travel with cute babies um i was gonna ask you about that one uh i'm guessing Raphael was always going to keep chompy because it's creatures in the rest of the series so yeah totally and, and you know that was um i think people were upset that that uh uh, you know, when, when he lost his pet turtle for slash, it was a way to, you know, well, you know, to kind of say, you know, in life things, we lose things and new things come back to us, you know, cause that's, I think one of the things too, that's important to mention about a show like turtles is, you know, it is a, a show for kids too, right? Like big kids like us, but small kids. And, and we always tried to, to put in a sense of morality or, or philosophy to, you know, to help, you know, young people who, who are learning and still trying to figure out the world. Um, Splinter was amazing for that. You know, every time I got to write Splinter, I was like, I'm not taking this lightly. Like what comes out of his mouth needs to educate and comfort, not only the turtles, but the audience. And, I think those emotional tones and those kind of, you know, I always, I always approached Splinter with a, I hope a, a shred of Buddhism um, to try to, you know, just convey things that, that maybe kids would take away with them that would make their lives, you know, easier or uh, empower them to make other lives uh, for other people easier. There's a real gravity to Splinter on that show that I really liked, like Hoon Lee and, and Eastman wrote a really cool episode with Splinter and the baby's turtles. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff for Splinter in that show. Yeah. Yeah. I got to tell you, man, you know, I, uh, as a freelancer on the show, you know, I, I would come in and, you know, I would write my episodes and turn them in on a computer and I, I wouldn't have a lot of FaceTime uh, with like the producers or people. Uh, I interacted very much with Brandon and, and, and sometimes with Ciro. Um, but as someone who, you know, I felt like, you know, like the voice cast and, and, and the crew are like the nuclear family. I felt like maybe like extended family. Mm. Um, but when I would run into those guys or, or Kevin Eastman at like a comic con or something, they were always so just kind and, and friendly and excited and welcoming. Uh, uh, I remember uh, the first time I met Sean Astin, uh, it, it just, you know, he put a big arm around me and, 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 you know, told me how much, you know, he enjoyed the, the writing. And I, it was just so nice for, you know, a freelance writer who, who doesn't, you know, you, you do feel kind of on the outside a little bit, you know, you write this thing, you turn it in yeah. nine or 10 months later, you get to watch it. But when I did have chances to, to interact and see the, the, the voice crew or, or, you know, the, you know, Kevin Eastman himself, they're always so cool. And, and, you know, maybe it's those kind of things that make me so fond of my experience on the show. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I have a, a random question for you. There's a get smart throw out in that episode by Donatello. Uh, in the, in the, in the, are you a fan of get smart? Or was that oh true? yeah. That was no accident. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I thank you, sir, for catching it. Yeah. yeah I know. I, I love, cause there's a, a few times in that show where it's not yeah. just, sci-fi references and stuff like that like i like yeah I was, oh, shit, was it was it a missed it by that much yeah of course yeah, yeah, Donnie, yeah. but he when he crashes the ship a little bit yeah donnie is the best i i loved writing donnie dialogue and yeah i'm a big classic tv nerd huge classic tv nerd yeah. and uh uh i love that you yeah you got that reference and and you know rob paulson can pull off that that uh Don Adams pretty well. So. Oh yeah, his yeah. his voice is perfect. I, I still remember like this is you know before it premiered hearing uh, that Rob Paulson had been cast as Donnie in that show. Like as a fan, I was like, oh my! Like there was so many reasons why that was perfectly right. Yeah, but it was just like it was, it was just so exciting. So totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I think that. Oh man, it's tough. 
Donnie and and Raph are definitely my two favorite to write, like voice wise and, 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 you know, figuring out what's going to come out of their mouths. I had a lot of fun with them on uh race race the demon race for the demon yeah i wanted to talk to you about that one because i mean yeah and i'm not really a a, a rat think guy i i know of it more than i know it were you like an ed hardy fan because that's like it seems like a love letter to that yeah no it totally is and and it was once again by design i think brandon brandon's a fan of that stuff and i am and and he knew that um with speed demon donnie i would you know i think he knew that i would get those references and, and the kind of vibe. And, you know, I, my first comic book I wrote was kind of a rockabilly psychobilly car. It's basically like a, a gang of greasers that are fighting monsters. Um, so he kind of knew I could channel that, you know, 1950s, you know, uh, road battle kind of hot rod sure. vibe. Yeah. And, you know, throwing in Casey Jones just made it that much better. You know, I love, I, I think the, 2012 version of Casey is is fantastic. Uh, I love the the creepy kid with the skull paint under his skull mask. <laughs> it's like, and so you know, know. yeah, <laughs> yeah. You throw him in, and you have uh, Donnie mutate into a evil car, which kind of gives you some Christine or Stephen King vibes thrown yeah. in there too. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. That was you know when I as a writer, you know, you when you're getting pitched for other shows as an animation writer, they'll often ask for samples. Um, and whenever my agent's submitting me, I always include that, that script. Oh, really? That's um, awesome. Yeah. That's one I always, cause I feel like um, if you're a turtles fan, you're really going to get it. Yep. If you're an animation executive, you're going to at least appreciate like the humor and the, the action and if you're not a fan of any of this stuff and you read it, it's still fun. It's just a fun bottle, as they say, you know, uh, uh, what do they call it? A, a, a bottle show. It, you, you don't need to know what happened before or after. Totally. Yeah. Um, so that's one I always, and more proud I could not be that they made a little Hot Wheels style toy yes. of, of uh, Speed Demon Donnie. And uh, when Playmates made those little car toys, do you have that toy? Oh yeah, I have it right here on my shelf. Proudly, awesome. yeah. I, uh, um, being a toy collector, I, I just get so excited when stuff gets made that's very episode specific to you know stuff I've worked on, and uh, that I think is the first thing that was like specifically my episode. And I'm that's super cool. excited. Yeah, and it's a one thing like that. Like the characters never appears again. It's just one awesome episode. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Speaking of which, they almost made uh, a Dr. Cluckingsworth toy, but they backed out of it. Oh, I know. I, I was, was, I think, Playmates was going to do a three pack with Ice Cream Kitty. Yeah. Worth than somebody else. I forget what. And they didn't make it. I was so upset. I know. I remember seeing like there was like Toy Fair pictures yeah. or something. Or, yeah. And I was so excited. And then, yeah, never. Maybe maybe we can start a campaign. Let's let's petition playmates to make that three pack. <laughs> I'm down. I forget what the other one. Was. Man, that's gonna drive me nuts with that other. Mark. Yeah, it was three of the cool little um, maybe it was like, sidekick. Maybe yeah. it was like Unless- yeah, yeah, might have been actually. But yeah, how amazing is Ice Cream Kitty? I still want a toy of Ice Cream Kitty. Oh, I love. There was one toy. It was a like a Le- not Lego Mega Block set that came with Ice Cream Kitty. Oh my god, the mega blocks are incredible, right? Yeah, they're really cool. Um, there's a little ice cream kitty from oh. that. That's almost in scale. I'm doing this on a podcast where nobody can see this, but it's almost in scale with the toys. I'm like, all right, it's close enough, but nothing of Dr. Cluckingsworth. So I wish. Yeah, sadly, and they they made the playmates made the little hot rod uh, that that Casey and uh, it came with like a kind of like a, a rockabilly looking Mikey in a, mm. in a leather jacket. And it even has the cage on the back of the toy for Dr. Cluckingsworth, but. Oh, I didn't know alas. that. Yeah. I, I made sure to buy that little hot rod toy, the Mikey that comes with it. It's really good. And uh, of course I put um, uh, Casey in it when I was displaying it. Sure. But yet never, never had the, the Cluckingsworth. <laughs> was that a character that like, was that written into the script I'm guessing, or uh, the outline beforehand? Like what, like where this character came from or. Uh, the Cluckingsworth. 
Yeah, Cluckingsworth. Yeah, I can't even remember. It's just such a yeah. weird thing that got thrown in that I just I, I just love that character. Yeah, I mean, and that's the kind of stuff that results from banter between like myself and Brandon, or Brandon sure. and Ciro, and some of the awesome wacky stuff like that. Kind of evolves during the process. Sure. Yeah. And uh, but also, you know, uh, on on a CG show like that, uh, assets are, are so hard to come by and expensive that uh, you know it might not have been an, a, a a real whim that 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 because that's a character model um, that they True. had to build and budget for and stuff. So I can't remember, but I feel like I feel like he kind of evolved out of maybe us all hitting a ball back and forth about how ridiculous it would be. It does take the whole episode. It's already one of the more ridiculous. <laughs> and the chicken with a giant brain. I just yeah. love it. It's such a great. Uh, like, and it's like nuclear fusion powered eggs or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then I think it comes back to the sewer with them later. I think, I think Tuckingsworth follows them back. I can't remember. I can't remember either. I'm trying to recall now. You know, I have a question for you. And I asked this of everybody who worked in the 2012 show. You may not have an answer, but uh, what happened to Pigeon Pete? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and there's an allusion to like something happened to Pigeon Pete. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it was horrible and dark, whatever sure, <laughs> happened yeah. to him. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. That's not the first time I've been asked that. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. As they say, it's above my pay grade. I don't know. Sure. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm, when I get Brandon on here, I'm going to, I'm going to hammer. Yeah. You'll one. really get the truth. Cause even Sierra yeah. was like, I don't know. He just, he's just disappeared. So. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. In the back of, in the darkest reaches of Brandon's mind, there's a, a fate for Pigeon Pete <laughs> that we don't yeah, want to sure. know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you want to talk at all about Wasteland Warrior before I let you go? Yeah, man. Well, other than for me, it was the perfect way to say goodbye to everybody. It was, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. But yeah, it was um, for me having kind of evolved into getting to tell emotional wrath stories. Um, it couldn't have been, because like I knew at the time it was I was going to be sad when the show was over because I was enjoying working on it so much, and you know we as animation writers we're with these characters and stories a year to a year and a half before the audience is, um, so I had to say goodbye you know at least a year before everyone else did to this universe, mm. um, but what a hell of a way to go out. Like, um, Oh yeah. I, I was because I'm emotionally attached to the characters. Like all of us, I was almost mad at Brandon for like splinters fate and what happens to the turtles. And sure. Yeah. It was, it was hard for me to, but I felt like wasteland warrior was, uh, cathartic in a way. And, um, it was a celebration of, you know, I love, road warrior and i love mad max and and that type of storytelling and and looking at the turtles through the lens of that type of storytelling um was a real treat at the end and i i i've worked on other shows and um i never had the the good opportunity of of saying goodbye of of writing a finale Mm. um and so this was the first time i got to take part you know it was i think a a two or three part story and um getting to script one of the parts and and put my stamp on saying goodbye to the audience to these characters it was a real treat um i actually in my office uh i think it was uh i don't know if it was mondo someone had uh printed a really cool wasteland warrior poster um and i have it up in my office as we oh is it the one with the giant raft yeah that's yeah. an excellent poster. That's great. I love that poster. Yeah, me too, man. Um, yes, yeah, so I have it up. And uh, there's certain things that will always be in my office. And, and one of them is is that poster. Yeah. That's such a cool episode. Like, I feel like some some people think it's not canon or whatever. Like, I, I love that episode because, like, I, I know it aired out of order, so it doesn't appear to be the finale. But it's very much the finale of the series. I mean, I talked oh, yeah. about this, too. And what I like about it is, yeah, it's this kind of crazy Mad Max thing. But if at its core, it's just an episode about the four turtles, or it's just a story about the four turtles finding each other again. Yeah. That's cool. It's, it's, it's a story about brothers. It's yeah. A, yeah. It's a story about four brothers uh, in a very, very crazy science fiction way reuniting. Yeah. Um, 
Donnie in that is it still blows my mind. And um, someone out there, please make a toy of him um, from, oh, from uh, like the the idea. And I think maybe that had hit the IDW comics first, but the idea of Donnie preserving himself in uh, basically uh, a shellhead type scenario. Yeah, he does um, it metalhead in the car. In the, in the uh, metalhead, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, metalhead. Yeah, yeah. Um, was just it's just brilliant. And yeah. um, at the same time, you know, it was dark, but the, you know, it ends it ends with hope, right? Like, yeah, they're not in a world where they're uh, outsiders or have to hide anymore. At the end of that, right? Like, they're in a world that's as crazy as they are. Yeah, it's 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 such an interesting way to end this. It's a huge swing. Yeah. Uh, the way it ends the show, but it's like it's like, unlike any other. It's really like I think Sierra was talking about how like he gotten some hate for Casey Jones's skull being used as oh, like yeah. cannon. But then we were talking, I was like, Casey Jones would love if his remains were used that way. Like he would have oh, to- totally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's there's nothing more heavy metal than my yeah. skull is a grenade and it's gonna take out the bad guys. I mean, that's yeah. that's Casey Jones to the core. You know, I, I do wonder if if it was aired out of order to make it feel less brutal. Um, I still wonder that. I wonder if when the programming team watched the final episodes, they were like, this is really tough and this is kind of hardcore. Maybe let's not play it last so it kind of softens it. I still wonder if, if the programming team did that. Yeah, I wonder that too, because it, it, I think because of that, some people mistake it as like, a, oh, here's a what if or a whatever. And it's like, right. no, clearly the end of the series. Yeah. Uh, the ended up airing the Bebop and Rock City story. I really like that Bebop and Rock City story. Yeah. But it's like the, t- and it, I get why they did last because it's got the other turtles. It's like, yeah. meant, it's a whole thing, but it's like, that's more fun. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't end. I mean, it doesn't end anything. Like, no, a, totally. Yeah. Like, uh, Wasteland Warriors are really nice. Coda. It's a finale, yeah. yeah. It's a finale for sure. How I mean, those last little episodes, like the Usagi Ajimbo arc. Oh God, it's so good, so good, so good. Timed it so nicely. Five episodes it was great, and it's so gorgeous. Like the yeah. the team had been making the show for all the seasons, and were just they couldn't couldn't have been any better at, at their game. And um, I it I love Usagi, so it was killing me. I didn't get to work on that, <laughs> but it was like. It was like, I remember Brandon was like, dude, do you want to do uh, Usagi Jimbo, Or do you want to do a uh, Mad Max themed? And I was like, that's the hardest decision I've ever <laughs> had to make. <laughs> but when I understood that the Wasteland Warrior was the finale, that that was it. I was like, I, I want to be part of that. People, uh, I feel like when the show switched formats at that last season to be Tales, um, it was a really smart idea because it kind of like, you know, the first four seasons is sort of one story about Splinter and Shredder and all that. Yeah. And uh, like the way that they kind of switched things up and really told, like took huge stories, like and have four or five episode arcs yeah, uh, as well as one or two, like one episode things. It was really cool. Like the way they broke the format enough where it was a different kind of show, but still the same show. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I did too. And as I think is, uh, as one of the people writing it and, and, and being attached to the, you know, what do they say? Putting my, my cart to the train or whatever. I didn't know where we were going to go. Mm. I was like, you know, the, the, the splinter shredder th- that feels done. Right. Yeah. Like that arc felt done. And, and we had this amazing opportunity to do more. And I was like, what, what happens after this? And then, you know, Brandon started telling me what they were planning. And I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm so in, <laughs> I'm all in, you know, please let me work on these. It was a good format to keep things going. Like I, on one hand, I was like, Oh, it would've been cool to see a couple of seasons like that. But uh, like, I know a lot of people were upset when the show ended and I certainly was too, but I also feel like, you know, the show got 120 some episodes. So to have a hell of a run, that's a yeah, lot. Totally. So like, yeah, no way you can say it was short change because man, that show, that's a, that's a good run. Yeah, it is a good run, and I feel like the quality never waned, which, okay. yeah, you know, and I say that as a fan, you know, not as someone who, who worked on it. I say it as a fan who loves television, and there's lots of stuff I've watched, and, um, you know, there's very few 
animated series like this, the uh, American produced animated series like this, that, that retain the the quality through you know multiple seasons like that. I'm curious. Uh, Ciro had told me that there was a supercut of the two or three episodes of Wasteland Warrior that was put together as a movie, uh, and then it was like. I think it was a little bit edgier. Maybe it had some off-color language, and then the thing went missing. I don't know. Did you get a chance to see that? I didn't, but okay. I've I've heard of its legend as well. And <laughs> they they had someone had screened it. Uh, yeah. I, I remember hearing something about that. Um, yeah, I never saw the supercut, but uh, I would love to. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna let you go, but I have one more question for you before I do, and I think I know. Yeah. Also ask. Uh, who's your favorite turtle? Oh God. <laughs> it's like asking who is your favorite child? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard to answer, but I, it depends on the day. I will say that for writing dialogue, uh, Donnie and Raph, mm. um, definitely my two favorites from 2012 and, uh, Leo from, uh, 2003. Um, I really identified with, um, but in that universe, gosh, man, um, yeah, it's because uh, I also th- uh, think about the movies. I loved the first two films, you know, tremendously. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I would say it's a hard tie between Donnie and Leo. Yeah. Cool. Well, Gavin, yeah. I'm all set. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. This is awesome. Thank you so much. I, for being here. Thank you. Uh, you know, uh, lots of love for Turtles and what it's done for my creative life and my life as a fan and, uh, for, you know, just all the amazing people that I've met. Uh, like yourself, you know, from it. So um, I, I just, yeah, I'm very appreciative to, to have been, you know, a little, little tiny voice in the big mutant <laughs> choir. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Gavin. You take care. Hey, you too. Thanks. Bye everyone.